You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Monday, Canada. It is good to be back. I had a much-needed break, and I am happy to be back. Did anything happen when I was gone? Did anything happen, I don't know, on the federal level? I, I heard some teensy-weensy news about the Liberals and the NDP coming to some kind of little agreement. Yeah, I read about that. Follow that closely. We can talk about that today. So massive news there, massive shift in our political landscape. And as we're speaking now, there's another massive shift going on. As Ontario, as we speak, is signing an historic childcare deal valued at $13.2 billion over six years. That's right. The Ontario government just signed this $13.2 billion deal with the federal government that will see childcare fees cut in half by the end of the year. Rebates retroactive to April 1st. And basically, you're going to go to $10 a day daycare by September 2025. Massive win for the Liberal government, Liberal NDP agreement government. And Doug Ford right now is the progressive conservative leader facing an election. And he is, as I'm speaking, he's grinning. He's in Brampton with the Prime Minister and Stephen Lecce, the Education Minister, and Karina Gould, the Child Services Minister federally. And they are grinning and happy. And he's, quote, shoulder to shoulder with the federal government. So strange bedfellows, like Jason Kenney in Alberta fighting for his life, he signed. Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau, suddenly best buddies. And money makes strange bedfellows. And elections, well, when you need money to get reelected, you'll do the deal. But that's the cynical version. The uncynical version is, this is a massive transformation policy-wise, For a federal government, remember, it was Paul Martin, as Justin Trudeau now shakes hand with Doug Ford right now. Like, these are scenes you never thought you'd see. They're just delighted. Uh, Paul Martin tried to do this deal. Oh, Chrystia Freeland, the finance minister, is hugging Doug Ford. They got a warm relationship. So, So, like, I know people like to say, what's going on? I'm, I'm conservative. I'm liberal. I'm NDP. It is a big, fat mashup right now. Everybody's talking to everyone, cutting deals with everybody. Welcome to politics in 2022. Um, Here's the prime minister announcing the deal just for the record. We have reached a multi-year agreement with Ontario that will cut fees by an average of 25% and cut fees in half on average by the end of this year. That's the prime minister followed by his new BFF, Premier Doug Ford. It's a great deal for Ontario parents and the right deal for Ontarians. It's a deal that provides flexibility in how we allocate federal funding. Flexibility that was critical to making this program work in Ontario. Now, this is really fascinating, the implications of this. And and, and we'll get more details on it in a minute. But when I was away and the political landscape shifted with the confidence and supply agreement between the NDP and the Liberals... 
to keep the liberals in power. And people are like, this is crazy. This is a socialism. This is the conservatives were furious about it. How do you do this? This is a power grab. And, the, and some people, you know, depending on what side of the telescope you're on, this is a huge win for the liberals. If you're a liberal, because you get to remain in power till 2025. If you're an NDP, you either say, this is great. We're finally getting stuff done. Our job is to move the needle on big social policies, and we're doing it. And if you're a conservative, you can say, this is great. It gives us time to actually get a leader in place to raise money, and we can get our ducks in order, and we can really have time to reassess the board, and we win. So, of course, in politics, spin is so prevalent that everyone declares victory. Now, let's flip the telescope. If you're a liberal, you think, why did we do this? Um, Now what are we? We have no fiscal controls. we got a budget coming up. There's no guardrails. Uh, We thought under Chrétien Martin that we had established credibility fiscally. Now we've just blown through deficits. We've made a deal with the uh, NDP, and it's just we're just a big spend. We'll spend on everything. Budgets be damned. And if you're the NDP, uh, you are essentially a cheap date. You're going to get no credit. You've been bought for a nickel, and the, the liberals will get all the credit for all this policy that you've been fighting for. Might, what's the point in voting NDP? You're going to get the liberals, and the NDP can't win. So the NDP just sold themselves down the river. They're no longer really just a party seeking power. They're the conscience of parliament. They're not. They're just part of. They're just a kind of a junior wing of the liberal dynasty. So they've sold out. And if you're a conservative, the loser of your version is two more years of liberal power. We're out of power and we may never get back into power again. If these two progressive parties stay in a deal. But re- remember, what today also says is something else. That we may be, ironically, in a world where Pierre Paul Lievre, of all people, who's the front runner to lead the, the, the conservative party, who said just, just before I left for my vacation, and by the way, I want to thank Zane Velji and Tamara Cherry for filling in. Tamara and Zane, thank you. Great work as always. I heard only great things, and I really appreciated um, them uh, jumping in the chair. So thanks, Tamara, and thanks, Zane. But Pierre said something really interesting which I think is going to come back to haunt him because conservatives are livid about the liberal NDP agreement. It's not a coalition, just for the record. I know you know this. I know Zane and tomorrow went over this last week. A coalition means there'd be NDP members in cabinet. They're not. This is an agreement to get a few things done. It can break at any time. It's happened in Ontario. It's happened in BC. It's happened in the UK. Um, Andrew Coyne is right. Parliaments work this way all the time. You don't elect... You elect members of parliament. They're supposed to work together. And if they can make a deal, that's the way parliaments work. Now, you may not like it, but it's not only perfectly legal. There's lots of precedent and it's part of our system. It had just never happened like this federally. But then Pierre Polyevre, when he was he's trying to, to run and he's trying to not be pegged as a right wing populist. And he said something really interesting that I think undermines the criticism that conservatives are leveling at the NDP liberal agreement. And here's what he said. I don't believe that left and right actually exists in the real world. I think it is a phony construct of 
high school civics textbooks that means nothing to anyone out in the world, real world. Oh, oh, wait. Now, Pierre Polyever saying, I don't believe left and right exists in the real world. It's a phony construct of high school civics textbooks that means nothing to anyone in the real world. Now, if he's right, and he seems to stand by that, why are conservatives so mad that there's a deal between the NDP and the liberals? If left and right doesn't exist, if there's no real parties, if these are phony constructs of high school civics textbooks, does this mean nothing to anyone in the real world? If the job of politicians is just to get things done and progressives just happen to agree on a whole bunch of things like dental care or today, as we've seen, child care, then who cares if... Doug Ford is waving a blue flag or a light blue flag. Justin Trudeau is waving a red flag. Jugmeet Singh's waving an orange flag. Maybe left and right doesn't exist. Maybe it's just a phony construct. But if that's true, how do conservatives now criticize Justin Trudeau and Jugmeet Singh if their leading candidate, their frontrunner, Pierre Polyevra, is out there with an ad saying left and right doesn't exist. There's just ideas that you like or not. And then, therefore, deals like we've seen between Jason Kenney and Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau on child care, on pharmacare, they're just ideas. They're policies. They're not left-right. Are we moving into a totally new world now? What's happening to partisanship? Is this good or bad? I'm going to take texts and calls on that. But first, I want to dig into this child care announcement and the arrest or the charges against the former Ontario MPP, Randy Hillier. Robert Benzie is going to join me next. Stay with us. Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Some days you get back from a holiday and you think, what's changed? Well, I don't know. There's a confidence and supply agreement between the federal government, the liberals and the NDP. That transforms our federal landscape. A couple of minutes ago, Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford announced over $13 billion deal for national child care, something liberals have tried to do since Paul Martin, uh, and it just got done ahead of an Ontario election, mind you, but it's done. In 40 minutes, the Liberals are going to announce, we hear, according to reports, and we'll cover it with General Dave Fraser, that they're going to purchase the F-35 Lockheed Martin fighter jet that was first supposed to be purchased under the Harper government. Remember when Peter McKay sat in the cockpit when he was the defense minister? So we'll cover that. Massive news as defense comes up. Then the former MPP, Randy Hillier, who used to be part of Doug Ford's government, who was booted out, finally surrendered himself to the Ottawa police and is now facing charges over what? The trucker convoy. It's not raining news, it's hailing news. And when that that happens, we get uh, someone who always has a virtual umbrella on, uh, Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Holy Mackinac Benzie. Welcome back, Evan. <laughs> and then last night, I was like, you know what? Last moment, what I'm going to do, because my wife, who used to work in film, she's like, let's just check out the Academy Awards. That's boring. 
And then Will Smith goes up and smacks Chris Rock. Assault, by the way. Assault. And we'll talk about that later. But it's like, even the Academy Awards is making news. Crazy. Uh, Benz, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 in, I'm just loving hearing your voice again, Evan. <laughs> so crazy. All right. Can you give us the, give me the load, the politics and the details of the child care announcement. Well, I mean, the politics are that this is Justin Trudeau's signature social program. He ran on it in the September election, uh, even though he'd already had deals with many provinces. Ontario was the last to sign on. Doug Ford has an election that's nine weeks from this Thursday. Um, And he, you know, conservatives, small C conservatives haven't necessarily wanted a child care program, but the prime minister, the liberal prime minister has managed to secure a deal with Tory premiers in, um, uh, in, in every province, basically, including Alberta and Saskatchewan, and now today, Ontario. And this is a huge thing. It's a six-year deal for Ontario. Other provinces got five years, uh, but Ontario asked for a sixth year, which the prime minister was happy to give them because they want this to be a permanent program. And this is actually going to probably ensure that it is a permanent program. And the politics for Doug, first of all, it changes the landscape for conservatives federally. Yep. Can, can they ever go back on this? When you get conservative provinces, run provinces, biting on this amount of money, this is a long-term transformative issue. And for, like, this is not the Doug Ford that was first elected. This is the Doug Ford now of increased minimum wage. This is the Doug Ford of increased support for, you know, um, uh, long-term care investigations and and inspections. This is now the Doug Ford of child care. This is a totally different guy. Yeah, I mean, he's he has is certainly, when he came into office, he was all about bumper stickers and slogans. And I think that four years in government has taught him that government, especially during a global pandemic, Evan, government is complicated and multifaceted and also necessary. It's easy to say when you're on the outside, I'll come in and fix everything and get rid of all of this government. Well, it turns out you actually need government, especially during a pandemic. Uh, the fact that, that the prime minister has been able to get all of these Tory premiers to sign on to uh, a national child care program is extraordinary. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember the, the 2000 and uh, I guess it was 2000, January 2006 election that the, the NDP helped t- Stephen Harper defeat Paul Martin's liberals in 2005, and that really killed daycare for as a national program for you know 15, 16 years. So it's amazing to think that this is now the case. At the time of 2005, I was paying a lot in daycare. Now my kids are you know in university, so it's yeah. <laughs> I, I'm missing out on it. We're missing you're, out. You're same with you, but you know what? What can you do? This is a good economic driver for many families. So, gonna... so Tr- Trudeau's happy. Robert Benzie from yep. the Toronto Star. He's happy. Doug Ford says he's happy. What question? Do you have about a $10.2 billion deal that's actually more? It actually is, <coughs> pardon me, over $13 billion. What questions do you have in terms of how fast it's allocated, where the spaces are going to come from, and how this is going to work? Yeah, I mean, Ontario is certainly getting a lot more flexibility than other provinces received. And I think that that's in part because it's 38% of the population of the country. It's a lot more complicated to deliver childcare here than it is in some other provinces and territories, for sure. Also, this is the liberal government, federal liberal government, that is based largely in Ontario. Half of its seats are, more than half of its seats, are from the province. So uh, they need Ontario voters, just like Doug Ford needs Ontario voters. And and I, I'm, I've spoken to the Premier about this, and he he understands the need f- to work with the federal government because his, the same people who vote for his party, or he hopes will vote for his party on June 2nd, vote for Justin Trudeau's yeah. party last last fall. 
And and if you're a parent out there listening, what do you need to know about when this when this is all going to happen? How do you get that? Where are these spaces coming from? Well, you're going to be starting to get your rebates uh, if your if your daycare has signed on to this program, which you know they they expect to have thousands more daycares who have signed on to this program by September 1st. But there will be retroactive payments starting this Friday, so April 1st is Friday. Um, and if you're paying more for your daycare next month. Uh, you'll get you'll get a rebate for that amount more. So it's 25% cut initially. They hope it'll be half, 50% cut by December 31st. So this is a significant savings for a lot of families. And it's I, not means tested, right? It's anyone? No, no, it's not. But but the government has made sure that the, the existing subsidies for low-income families, there's about 300,000 um, families that benefit from, uh, the, from subsidies of up to 75%, those will continue. So actually some people's daycare, it's, it's already less than $10 a day if they're, if they have subsidized care, but this is going to have average wow. of ten dollars a day daycare by twenty twenty five. The government says crazy. Speaking to Robert Benzie, uh, okay, I, I wanted to talk about Canada and the World Cup beating Jamaica. You, I don't know if you got the game. What an amazing moment that was! Uh, but let's talk about Randy Hillier, uh, the the guy who was booted out of the Ford government. Uh, what happened to him today? Well, he's turned himself into uh, Ottawa police. Um, I guess they were, uh, well, I, I don't guess. I know they were investigating him for his uh, behavior uh, during the convoy blockade, which seems like a thousand years ago now. There's been so much news yeah. since then. Um, and he, you know, he went on social media, the platforms that he's not kicked off of yet to say that this is this, that he's turned himself in. And he was, he was very critical in a statement of Justin Trudeau and of the government in general for, you know, what he says, uh, he, he, he was a peaceful protester and he's now subject of a police investigation. He said that it's not, uh, it's not a, it's not a, a, it's not a good thing for democracy, according to Mr. Hillier. One count of assaulting a peace or public officer, two counts of obstructing or resisting a public public officer, one count of obstructing or resisting someone, aiding a public peace officer, three counts of counseling uncommitted indictable offense, two of them considered mischief, mischief, by the way, is serious, two counts of mischief or obstructing property exceeding five grand. He's facing a lot. Yeah, and these are these, and he's remember he's not running for re-election uh, in June. He was going to run. He was thinking about running as an independent, but he's decided against that. Uh, he of course was kicked out of the Conservatives in 2019. Nothing to do with the pandemic or the convoy. It was to do with differences that he had with Premier Ford's uh, government at that time. So wow. it's uh, yeah, he, it's he's he's really going to be having to fight this on his own, um, and I, it's not clear what will happen. Um, I mean, those are there are a lot of charges. Some of them I think will be thrown out, Evan, but I don't know. I mean, some of them are very serious. Okay. Um, Robert Benzie, uh, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Um, I, you're up to your eyeballs in news. I'm going to let you go because you probably got a file about child care. You probably got a file about Hillier. You got probably got, got a million things. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Take care. You too. <clears throat> By the way, folks, I'm still, yeah, I know I had COVID like three and a half weeks ago. Guess what? Still in my lungs. Crazy. So if I'm coughing, I apologize. Your turn next. one 1010 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. Are you happy with the child care deal announcement? We're going to do a text and call on child care. Do you want this child care deal? Is it important? You can also talk to me about the World Cup. <clears throat> you can also talk to me about, well, we'll do Will Smith after. How about that? We'll do texts and calls on consequences for Will Smith. And if you saw the Oscars last night when he uh, assaulted Chris Rock. And I'll give you my take on that. 
And, and then we'll have General Dave Fraser to talk about the F-35. Billions of dollars there. But coming up next, are you happy with child care? 7-10-10-1-8-5-5-6-3-3-10-10. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. Welcome back. Well, I don't know about you, but there is a lot of money about to be spent today. The Liberals just signed a $13.2 billion child care deal with uh, Ontario. That was already in the budget. But last week, they also signed a deal with the NDP, or they made a deal with the NDP, that will see a dental care program for low-income Canadians and a national prescription drug plan on the agenda, which could lead to another, I don't know, $15, $20 billion in government spending over the three-year deal. Maybe $40 billion by 2027. So there's big programs. By the way, in about 25 minutes, you'll find out that billions of dollars will be spent on the F-35. We'll find out how much. Are you happy with the child care deal? Evan, uh, I like the child care deal. I don't know how it's going to work. Is it a rebate or will the provider get top-ups, said Chad, three kids. Chad, it starts with a rebate starting April 1st. And then the provider will get the top-up, as I understand it. That's how it works. But you'll get a rebate, Chad, for up to 25% right away. And then it goes to basic 10 bucks right away in 2025. That's the way I understand that it's working. Um, we got a lot of calls though. Uh, Dan, your call. Hi. How's it um, going, buddy? What's good? Co- what's cooking? Sorry. Hi, John speaker. The, uh, I'm indifferent to the, uh, to the childcare plan. Most of my kids are uh, almost, uh, they're, they're just about out of school. Um, but in all of you, you just thank you for going through the list of, uh, potential expenditures we have pharmacare, we have dental care. Those are going to be, you know, anywhere between 15 and 50 billion. We have now interest rates increasing. So to service our record debt, which most of it was during Trudeau's uh, last couple of years, we have uh, uh, F-35s at 100 million apiece, right? Uh, we have existing healthcare and education programs that we're always broke on. We never have enough for that. We have promises to increase spending on especially on health care we have boomer the boomer wave now right. that that they can't be serviced um, how do we pay for this how do we oh, pay for hey, this? hey like, listen tell me but, why but don't, don't you understand you don't understand see you haven't been to ottawa dan there's a money tree that you've never seen and it grows and it oh no i'm just kidding uh, no, okay. it, it's true actually because it, trudeau literally as he said he does not believe in in debt so, so let me just answer. I think this is a key question, Dan, and, and I'm not going to justify what the liberals are doing because I think the liberals have long blown through their fiscal guardrails. They have long blown through these targets. They've never once met a budget target since they've been elected in 2015. Um, so here's what they would say, and then we can go the other side because a lot of people are asking the same question that, that, that you're asking. Number one, okay, our debt-to-GDP ratio right, which is what they talk about, used to be uh, something like 30%, okay, 
debt to GDP ratio 30%. It's now closing up to what? 49% of debt to GDP ratio. So it's gone way up. That's not great, but the economy has grown as well, right? So the, the liberals are saying, okay, well, our debt to GDP ratio is going up, but it went up because of the pandemic. Everyone's went up. And don't worry, uh, we've locked in long-term spending at low interest rates, how long that lasts. But they also say, but look at our credit rating is still triple A. So if you look at any of the credit rating agencies, we still have the highest credit rating. Like um, if you look at, uh, except for, I guess, Fitch, right? Fitch said you're no longer triple A. Uh, but S&P and uh, Moody still give us the highest. So we're good. Well, I don't know if that's small comfort. The bottom line is childcare was already in the budget. So this has been, we've seen this money before, but the deal with the NDP, we have not seen that 15 to $20 billion before. The F-35s, I don't know what, that's in the budget, but we don't know what it's going to cost. The Liberals killed the program in 2015, and now they're going to spend billions of dollars more for it. So I don't know where that money's coming from, Don, and it's a great idea. There's going to be a budget announcement next week, and I'm intrigued to see because I'll tell you one thing about this Liberal government. All they have ever done is spend. That's what they're good at, and it's not their money. It's everybody's money, and we have to decide if that's what we want. But great question. Dan's asking the big question, um, how do we pay for this? Um, I want to take... Um, Dylan, go ahead, Dylan. Hey, Evan, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I think uh, this this daycare deal with, uh, with that Ontario struck there, I think it's the wrong direction for the province and for the country, this sort of thing. Uh, I think if we're going to be shelling out this kind of money, a better option would be to pay women to stay at home and raise their own kids. Um, why women? Sorry, what, 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> well, they're, they're the primary My wife works. You know what I mean. But, well, but, but my wife works. Well, why, no, and, why, why do you, you pay men but, to stay home? But, I'm just but, I'm but intrigued. A lot of their studies have shown that women, if given the choice, would prefer to stay at home and raise their kids. But it's just not financially viable for a lot of people. And okay. I mean, can I, can I, can I give you the answer to that question? Uh, first of all, families have choices, um, and choices. and I don't think anyone's going to quote pay women to stay home. But there's a lot of studies since you're into data that shows that when you have of both parents in the workforce, as my wife is in the workforce, every dollar invested in early child education can generate seven bucks in uh, labor productivity. Why? Because you get increased. So it actually helps the economy grow. So you can't, you can't, uh, you know, paying dollar for dollar to quote keep people at home actually doesn't make economic sense. This you're getting seven x your value. By investing in childcare, but but Evan, there's more to life than just economics, and I mean it's it's about raising good citizens and so on, and and I mean uh, you know just other other studies show too that any any benefits from daycare are gone by by about grade three or so, any in terms of like early childhood what learning. study? I, I've never seen that study. But wait, are you oh. saying? I just want to ask you an interesting question, and you know you have the right to raise your family the way you want, and, and that's great. I, I never judge anyone, but are you suggesting that someone who sends their kid into childcare is not giving their kid the same quality of life that someone who's raising their kids uh, by stay with one stay-at-home parent. Is that your contention? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not necessarily what they want. A lot of people are forced into having both parents work. You know, so 
it's not well, what do you, what do you mean? Just out of let me say this. Okay. Let me say this. For rich people who have the option where the wife could stay home and work, yeah, I think it is uh, detrimental. I think it is uh, sort of morally wrong on their part. If they could stay at home. Well, why do you keep saying, like, I, okay, I appreciate the call. You think it's morally wrong to work if you can't afford to stay home and raise your kids? Okay, I appreciate the call. Uh, you and I, listen, families have all sorts of choices, and that's your belief. Your belief is that women should be home raising kids. I don't have that belief. Um, we've raised two kids. Um, I think that people have choices. No one's forced to. Yeah, it's hard to make a living. It's hard to make ends meet now. It's hard for every single person out there listening to make ends meet. But I'm going to tell you where Dylan and I part company, and we parted company almost immediately. Judging other people, telling people it's morally wrong, making women or men feel guilty for working, which there shouldn't be, and genderizing who ought to stay at home. There's lots of men that stay home. And, and finally, this notion that so, somehow you're giving your kid a secondary life if, you're, if you need to work versus staying home. No, there's no study on that. There are economic benefits to early childhood education, and there's productivity issues. Uh, but also, kids are raised in many ways, and they turn out really well. I wouldn't judge a parent. I wouldn't tell you that their outcomes are worse. And, and, and Dylan, I appreciate the call, but you and I have profoundly different views on that. And, and I'm, I'm happy for anyone to text me on that. But the idea that we should, quote, pay women to stay home bugs me. And if you're a woman working and listening right now, uh, don't feel guilty about your choices and your working. Your kids will be fine. Your kids are going to be wonderful. You're still just as good a parent as anyone that decides to stay home if they have that option, which many people, by the way, don't. Now, there's a question of how we pay for this. But that kind of idea is just not going to fly to me. I spent a lot of time in that call. Uh, let We can take more calls on this, but also should there be consequences for Will Smith next. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. So I had this guy that just called into our show to tell me that the government should pay women to stay home in the kitchen and and raise kids. And I didn't realize that there were, on this show, we could get callers time traveling from the 50s. But clearly we can. But there's this idea... That a woman's place is in the kitchen. I guess this still persists. Again, my wife works. Many of the of our half our audience who are women are probably working right now. And by the way, if you're staying home to raise your kids, great. As a woman or a man, I have total respect for you. I don't judge other people's decisions. Oh, I'm better than you. My choices are better. You're you're not raising your kids, bro butt out of other people's business. And by the way, the, I, this, this notion of overt sexism is gross. And then last night watching the Oscars, Will Smith decides that he's going to protect his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, who, listen, man, she's famous. She's tough. 
But there's a joke at the Oscars, like comedians make jokes about famous, rich, powerful people. Comedy's rule is you don't punch down. You don't kick at people who are vulnerable. But the powerful and rich and their foibles, you do. Now, Chris Rock made an inappropriate, stupid... Chris Rock is not my favorite comedian. He made a stupid joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, who suffers from alopecia. Alopecia is a disease where you lose all your hair. And he made a joke about her. <coughs> pardon me. He made a joke about her on stage. And here's the joke. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2. Can't wait to see it. All right. Now, the joke is Demi Moore starred in the famous film G.I. Jane. And she shaved her head in it. Jada Pinkett Smith uh, lost her hair. She's been very open about her alopecia, and she didn't like the joke. Will Smith first laughed, and then Will Smith walked up and open-handed smacked Chris Rock on the face. I'm out here. Uh Uh-oh, Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. So then then he said... Then he started yelling expletives at him. I don't know if we've got, I don't want to play the expletives. What do we got to the exchange between Rock and Smith? Do we have anything? Here we go. You the- my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? Will Smith's out of control. Now, I, I'm going to get your thoughts on this, and I'm going to give you my thoughts. one 833 one 1-855-633-1010, or 710-CHEN. Should there be consequences for Will Smith? Now, Chris Rock's not going to charge him for assault. He could, because he assaulted him by California law. My, my son said to me, Dad, if someone insulted Mom, you go crazy when that happens. It's true. And then the first part of you, you think, man, you got to protect the person you love, right? No. Doesn't mean you slap. Will Smith could have yelled, shut up, or that's out of line. But you don't assault someone. And my wife is different than Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada Pinkett Smith is a public figure. Inappropriate joke, yes. Stupid joke, yes. Insulting joke, yes. Hurtful joke, yes. Does it does it remotely justify an assault? No. Comedian's job is to make jokes. What, is every comedian now going to be scared that some hyper-jacked-up celebrity is going to slap them and, and then be able to get this? You assault someone, then you sit down and everyone, and everyone cheers for you, then you win the best male actor, and then you weep like you're the victim? And he does this tearful speech. Listen to part of Will Smith. I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Okay. Um, well, let me hear the love will goodbye. do crazy things. Love will make you do crazy things. Listen to this. But love will make you do crazy things. Love will make you do crazy things. Now, let me just say, as many people pointed out, every time someone, there's an abuser of women in a domestic abuse situation, they always say, oh man, I love her. Love will make you do crazy things. This is like the oldest and least valid justification for any form of abuse. I get that. So, Will Smith, love will not make you do crazy things. You should defend your wife if you want to, although she's perfectly capable of defending herself. But you're a rich public figure. You don't get the right to slap someone and sit down. It is so outrageous. 
And Hollywood just accepted that. Oh, well, you know, we'll. And a lot of people saying, you could stand, stand for your woman. Come on. He could stand up and say, shut up. There is a line he crossed, and it is physical assault. So out of line. And, and, and whether Chris Rock knew she had alopecia or didn't know she had alopecia, doesn't matter. He's a comedian. What are, are they going to insult every comedian that they don't like now? That's it? Oh, I don't like the joke. I'm going up. You shut up. Hey, celebrities, memo, you're not victims. Look, I'm not in these people's universe. I, I, I don't know anything about their life. But even on my tiny little world where I host a couple television shows and a radio show, on my social media, I get... Uh, ragged on all the time. I get it. I get ripped. And my family's taking shots. And it's part of the job. You know, you don't live in Canada and complain about the snow. Because it's part of the weather. You don't become a multi-million dollar celebrity like Will Smith and Jada Pink and expect no one's ever going to say a bad thing about me. And if they do, I'm going to assault them. And let me tell you, if The Rock had made that joke, which he probably wouldn't, you think Will would slap him? Come on. It, it was disgraceful. Will Smith should have apologized. Will Smith should have been booted out of there. And his tearful apology where he, he, he says, I'm a protector? No, you're, you're, you're out of control, pal. You're out of control. Brad, what's up? Just a perfect example of celebrity taking advantage of their status. That's assault, as you say, um, Period. If he was a fan, he would have been swarmed by security, arrested, and everyone would have been screaming. Um, unacceptable. What if the fan? What if there's a fan that said, "I have alopecia. I don't like that that joke," and I, he slapped Chris Rock? What do you think would have happened? Well, exactly. Um, it, it would have been a major incident. And you know, as you say, the comedians do this. You look at Ricky Gervais. You look at Don Rickles. Holy smokes! You know, they. That's what they do. And, and some people say comedians went too far. Hey, comedians go too far all the time. Transgression is their business, and you may not like it. So you know what the best response is? Turn it off. Yell. Heckle. You don't hit. There's a whole, hey, you want to heckle a comedian? Heckle like hell. Exactly. And in the grand scheme of things, the joke was inappropriate, perhaps. It was pretty tame. I didn't even understand it the first time I watched yeah. it. I, was, I thought there was a remake of the movie or something. I didn't get it uh, yeah i appreciate the call brad listen a tasteless joke is it, it no one's you don't have to like chris rock or you don't have to like the joke but do you hit someone no i'll continue with texts and calls on this one 855 or seven ten ten. but you can talk to me about anything you could talk about will smith you could talk to me about child care you could talk to me about whether the pope should just apologize i have thoughts on that next. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Hey, Canada, happy Monday. Man, that's going around. $13.2 billion, $10 a day daycare deal, signs in Ontario, done. Want to talk about that? Do it. one 633 1010 or 71010 You'll have 
a day daycare. If you live in Ontario by 2025, also in a couple minutes, we'll find out that the Liberals are set to buy the F-35, Lockheed Martin, fifth generation fighter jet, delivery by 2025. So the war in Ukraine has finally snapped some urgency into the Liberals' long-delayed purchase of, oh, a plane that the Conservatives wanted to buy back in 2000 and what, 14, 15, cancelled in 2015 by the Liberals, now they're buying it again. And now the Métis National Council is saying that the Métis delegation today went, along with other Indigenous leaders, to meet with the Pope at a meeting to share stories about the residential school survivors. Remember, uh, 150,000 Indigenous kids went through the brutal residential school system. And Cassidy Carano says... They spoke about how the Roman Catholic Church plays a role in supporting these efforts. He and Catholics around the world must now do the work of translating the words that we have spoken today and will continue to speak from their heads into their hearts and ultimately into real action. So the Pope is says he's committed to the journey to justice and he's deeply listening and I'll take your thoughts on this as well at one 1010 or 71010. Is it time, is it long overdue for an apology? And the answer is yes. The power dynamics all wrong here. Why isn't the Pope just announcing he will publicly apologize as soon as the last meeting happens? Why the suspense? Will the Pope publicly apologize? Will the Pope not publicly apologize? The Pope has to deeply listen. What more does the church need to know? Read the Truth and Reconciliation Report. Listen to the survivors who have been screaming about this for decades. You don't need another meeting and then dangling the mystery as to whether or not the Pope will apologize. The Pope is a man of God. Contrition is part of this. Asking for forgiveness is part of it. Taking responsibility for sins is part of the job. You don't have to make Indigenous leaders come to you, tell the story, So you can decide whether you'll publicly apologize. In my view, the Pope should have already decided, I will publicly apologize. Two, I will give compensation. The church was supposed to raise $25 million 10 years ago, could only raise 3.7. They're supposed to raise another 30 now. They should be compensating now. They failed to do so in the past. They've been fighting this for decades. They should reopen the records, return the artifacts, offer a public apology, and the Pope should visit. These are not hard things to do. Why keep the people who have suffered waiting? Stephen Harper apologized for this. What is the Pope waiting for, frankly? I don't know. And why force these people, these leaders, to come with more demands without just saying, I am here to meet with you to offer you a public apology? Uh, Robert, what's up? Hello, Evan. Uh, you know what? You stole my thunder, as everyone says on the radio. <laughs> I'm dittoing everything you just said, so I don't know what more I can add. Like, you, I agree with everything you said. I agree with everything you said. The, the only thing I can think of that he's old enough to live 
through what happened, and he's just so far removed that he's claiming that he didn't know about it. But, like, everything you said is true. Like, you know, why is it taking you so long to apologize, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, you need more than apologize. Somebody just said Benedict did apologize. No, no, no. I want to clear this up. Pope Benedict never publicly apologized, and he never said the word sorry. I want this to be clear. He did meet with a delegation of indigenous leaders and privately said um, that he regrets what happened, did not say I apologize for it, did not have any compensation, did not open the records, and did not do it publicly. So someone who just texted me and said Pope Benedict did apologize, does every pope going forward need to apologize? No. One pope needs to apologize publicly, as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has asked. One pope needs to release the records, as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has asked. One pope needs to give back the artifacts stolen, as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has asked. And one pope needs to actually get some compensation from the very wealthy church to communities who need it for the trauma. One not one private non-apology by Pope Benedict. I'm sorry, that's what happened. That, th- these, these are not my opinions. These are facts. Uh, CJ in Scarborough, what's up? Hey, I wanted to talk to you about the child care. Go for I, I it. don't understand what living within your means and how that's gone in, in our society. Um, I'm, I'm late 20s with a wife and a two-year-old daughter, and before I had a kid... I looked at the prices of a two-bedroom apartment. I looked at what my, what my prices of, of formula might cost or food might cost. And if I couldn't afford it, I, I wouldn't have a kid. So now there's all these people having multiple kids because it's generational or the, it's a religious thing or it's a family thing to have big families. And then now somebody has to pay that bill because they can't watch their kid because they have to work two jobs, three jobs. And I understand that's hard. But you have to work multiple jobs to afford this now. Yeah. So so let me ask you two things, CJ. First of all, congrats on the kid. Uh, raising you. a kid is a beautiful thing to do, and having a family is great. Uh, cost of living is real. Now, we need, like, just purely demographically, to, to keep our – to pay for your retirement, to pay for social systems like uh, health care – uh, roads, uh, defense, we need a workforce that's robust. And we need, we don't even have what's called replacement population rates. In other words, we have uh, Canada, our birth rate is so low because people can't afford it that our economy is shrinking. We, we need to have, we need to weigh up our immigration because of it because families here can't afford to have kids. And one study would say that providing things like childcare and these services allows you to have more than one kid because for every dollar we invest in that, $7 will come out of it economically. So your kid's future will be better. Your future will be better. You'll be able to have more kids because we need the labor force. We need the replacement. That's the reality of it. So on that basis, do you understand the investment? No, I absolutely understand the investment. But I don't think it should be for everybody. I, I think if you need it, if, if you're put in a position like a, almost like an application thing. I, I heard another caller say a while ago on the Jerry Agar show that uh, Stephen Harper put that through. And if you needed it, you could apply for it and get it. But the, I know there are people that are not living within their means in this society that I have a, a close relationship to that are going to parties that are still 
going yeah. and doing these flamboyant trips and doing all these things, but then they're telling me that the price of their daycare is, is so high and they can barely afford it and they have to work extra shifts. So I, CJ, I sales. I yeah. Listen, I not everyone. Cheaper apartment, things like that. You can make it work if that's the responsibility you. Well, well, on. you have to do it. Remember, the money here is not going to. It's not lottery money. It's getting by money. No. And and I appreciate the call. One thing I would say, and man, I had a great call, Michael. I know you want to talk about the church and also Will Smith, so we 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 can do that as well. But CJ's raising a great point. Are people? Expecting a bailout from the government. And the answer is, I think there's, you know, there's going to be a free rider problem. Some people will abuse the system. I get that. But overall, people don't. Uh, people need some, a leg up and societies need to thrive. And, 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 and I do think when you're investing in certain things, healthcare, good education, there is an economic benefit. And societies have to invest to get that benefit. Uh, great calls. Okay. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about the F-35, but man, there's so many great calls. Let's take a break on the Evan Solomon Show. We'll try to come back with Dave Fraser, Major General Dave Fraser, and more calls. As this story changes, we react. This is the Evan Solomon Show. Breaking news right now. Federal government has just announced it is going to procure the Lockheed Martin F-35 fighter jet. They are going to finalize a contract. Philomena Tassi, the public services and procurement minister, just announced it. Now Anita Anand, the defense minister, uh, is confirming that after a long process. Remember, the conservatives wanted to buy this. The liberals at the time said, no, it wasn't an open contract. You needed a more competitive bid. Don't politicize it. Well, they went around the mulberry bush, and uh, here we are seven years later, and the F-35 is going to be the final bidder. Now, we don't know the details. They haven't finalized the contract, but they're going to be buying the F-35. Big surprise. Why? Because this is interoperable with the U.S. The other option was the Saab the Griffin, and, and there's no way they're going to buy the Griffin. Why? Because they got to be interoperable with the U.S., especially in light of the, what's happening in Russia. And uh, let's bring on Dave Fraser, uh, retired major general in Canada, decorated Canadian military officer, first general to combat American troops in combat since the Second World War, served for 32 years. What better person to talk about this than General Fraser? How are you, sir? Thanks for your service. And here we are after st- after what? Uh, Peter McKay sat in the cockpit and got grilled. I remember interviewing about that for choosing a single source contract. Here we are around the Mulberry Bush. What do you think of this? Well, Evan, it's it's no surprise. It's years late, but better late than never. But the point you made at the very beginning, it's the best fighter in the world. It has been bought by everybody. It's interoperable with the United States. It's going to be great for NORAD. It's going to be great for Canada. And it's more of an intelligence surveillance reconnaissance platform than it is even a fighter. Um, if you're going to buy something for 50 years, buy the best that you can, and this is the best. Why was it so controversial? What took so long? Politics. Just simply politics. Um, 
if if the government was serious about this, they would have thought about the industrial capabilities where Canada had been putting in a couple hundred million dollars up front for years for the technological uh, you know, view into it. There were hundreds, literally hundreds of Canadian companies benefiting from this. It was just adding to our economy and just politics got in the way. I'll tell you, there there were a lot of problems with this. This is the most over-budget piece of military equipment the U.S. has ever procured. I remember even the, the, the departed John McCain, the military veteran, was against it. Um, people thought it was out of date. The equipment didn't work. Uh, the cost spiraled. There are questions about whether it would work in the Arctic, whether a single-seater or a double-seater. There's been a lot of questions about the F-35. And the other issue was the Lockheed Martin was not guaranteeing industrial benefits. The way procurement works, folks, is when you buy something, they say, look, you pay billions of dollars for this piece of equipment, these helicopters, and we'll build them in Canada. That's the way you secure jobs. These naval vessels will be built at this port. But the F-35, you had to bid on the contracts. I'm intrigued to see the details if the Liberals managed to actually get some real guaranteed industrial benefits? And, you know, and Evan, it's a great question, but notwithstanding, Industry Canada already had a lot of those facts and figures under both under both parties, as I would add, that we were getting benefits already because we had lined up that we were going to look at buying this airplane. And because it was a brand new airplane, Yes, there were going to be a lot of issues, but it was too big to fail. The Americans were not going to let this thing fail. They were going to make sure that it was a successful project. And look where we are today. It is a successful project. Is it a project. great plane? Like, let, let me ask you, here we are with this the war going on in Ukraine. Is the F-35 Lightning II as good as they say? I mean, look, it's, it's almost triple the budget that they started with. It's way, is it a great plane? From every pilot that I've talked to, it is a great plane. It's a great platform. It's more than just a fighter. It's a platform with a huge computer on it that can do an awful lot more than just drop missiles or drop bombs. In fact, I suspect we'll probably drop very few of any of them, but we will be a high-demand, low-density requirement because they will want to use the computing capability, the stealth capability of this airplane, and it's going to attract it's going to attract pilots to the Canadian forces who are desperate in need of pilots. It keeps us relevant as a defense force. It opens up other doors with the United States of America because now we are a meaningful, credible defense partner because we've got real kits. Uh, I advocated for the F-35 back in 2010 and was roundly criticized and mocked by the liberals and journalists. Now they plan to buy the same aircraft we intended to buy, but at an additional cost of billions of taxpayer dollars, tweeted out Peter McKay. Is he right? I'm sure because of the delay, we have spent a lot of extra money. But in the end of the day, we need this capability to defend our north, defend our sovereignty, and to be a credible partner within NATO. And just look what Putin has done with Ukraine. Uh, the world has gotten a lot more dangerous. And if you don't have the kit... Putting people up in old airplanes, we are putting our young men and women at risk of killing them. We've got to give them the kit so they can survive in the battlefield. This airplane is going to give us, and if that's the cost, it's the. I'm willing to pay a billion dollars to save a life, a Canadian life. It's worth so, it. So, I, as I understand that both the Chinese and the Russians have comparable planes, true or not? Uh, they have some planes. They have comparable, 
but are they as good as this? I I would say at best they're probably equal, but in reality they're probably a little bit less than this. Um, and this is just the first turn. This plane will only get better with age with the software updates. And as we learn more about it, um, it is the latest technology. Yeah. It is what our men and women should be flying. Yeah, the F-22s and the F-35s become the sharp end of the U.S., the NATO, and now the Canadian. And the question is, they're going to be up against the uh, the Chinese planes. I think the Chinese have, what, the J-20 and then the Su-57 Russian. So those are the fifth-generation fighters out there. Um, how does, in the meantime, let's just veer into why this is so urgent. And, of course, the answer is Ukraine and Russia. Um Dramatic things happen on the weekend. Has, is Russia giving up and trying to, to figure out where they're going now after they've lost their ability to take Kiev? Uh, they are very much in a hunker down mode. They have told their deforces to dig in. They go on the defensive because their operations have come to a grinding halt. And meanwhile, Ukraine continues to go on the offense. And so Russia is now trying to figure out how to supply their forces how to lead their forces after their seventh general was killed, um, how to turn this fiasco around. And President Zelensky has offered yet another olive branch to bring Putin to the table to start talking about a settlement. In your world, and I'm speaking to General Dave Fraser, <clears throat> do you have to reassess Russia's capabilities now? Their generals have miscalculated. Uh, they had sent what everyone thought was going to be an overwhelming force, and it's not worked. Do we have to reass? I, I know they got chemical weapons. I know they got nuclear weapons. I understand that, but their ground forces are a mess. What does it tell you? Uh, I would say a month and a half ago, the world thought that the Russian army, after twenty years of rebuilding, was a lot better than what we've seen. Technologically, they've got good equipment. They do not have good leadership. They do not have good training. Um, so the Russians are going to go back, and and the danger is. They've actually suffered a strategic defeat or are suffering strategically uh, being defeated on the battlefield by a less capable army. They're going to be forced to become more dangerous and more capable as a result of this black eye, which then means we have to be prepared for what do they evolve to next. Mm. So this is a dangerous time. We can't we can't drop our guards. We've got to have the best equipment, the best leadership and be on vigilant because Putin still wants to build the Russian empire. Yeah, on the other hand, part of the problem is when you're an isolated leader like Putin and no one will tell you the truth, you can't, there's no feedback loop. You cannot build great things when you're an isolated leader who only hears praise. And he's picked a bunch of yes people and they've proven to be losers. And that is... Now, I don't know if he's capable of rebuilding. This is why tyranny survives for a while, but eventually teeters and fails. This is one of the triumphs of democracy. It's messy, it's slow, but guess what? There's feedback. I'm going to do texts and calls on this. Uh, General Fraser, you're the best. Thanks for your service to the country and your wisdom. Uh, 1-855-633-1010-710. We'll talk defense and your thoughts next. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. So you got some details about, man, 
I haven't seen a Monday like this in a long time. The Liberals are, are, are knocking off some promises today. They signed a $13.2 billion child care deal with Ontario, $10 a day daycare by 2025. They just announced that they're going to buy 88 Lockheed Martin F-35 fighter jets. Here's the defense minister who made the announcements minutes ago. Today, we are one step closer to delivering a new fleet of 88 state-of-the-art fighter jets for our Canadian Armed Forces, as we promised to do. Yeah, they did promise uh, they were going to buy maybe the, the Saab Gripen, but instead, like everybody expected, they're buying the Lockheed Martin F-35. It's had all sorts of uh, cost overruns since 2010, but it's flying. The Israelis are flying it. NATO allies are flying it. Uh, NORAD's going to fly it. And and everybody knew that there's no way Canada's going to go buy a Saab when the rest of basically NATO is flying the F-35. When Canada's got to integrate ever closer with the U.S. to protect our Arctic from who? The Russians and the Chinese, who, by the way, ripped off the technology for the F-35 for their own uh, fighter jet. And now the bugs are getting worked out on the F-35 and the details will matter. Don't just, you know, don't listen to the headline on this stuff, folks. Just be clear. These, this is a huge procurement. The details on this matter. How much per plane? When are we getting these 88? What are the industrial benefits? What are the long-term benefits on this? How fast will it happen? These are really important issues. You can't just say, oh, we're buying them. Don't buy this stuff off the shelf. What's the cap on price per unit? How long is the training? How long is the recruitment? So they're, they're, they're working that out. So you got that. You got child care. You've got indigenous leaders visiting the Pope. You've got Will Smith smacking Chris Rock, assaulting him with impunity. No one cares, and then he gets the award. Like, the world's gone bonkers here. We barely mentioned the war in Ukraine, except when retired Major General Dave Fraser joined me. Uh, That's why today on a Monday, after a week off, I have so many views on all these things. I'll take your calls on any of the above. You think we need these? You think we need to up spending on defense? No, by the way, this is already in the budget. But we're going to have to up our defense from 1.35% of our GDP to 2. That's the NATO goal. Are we going to do it in the budget? That's close to $20 billion a year. Where do you get that money? We just spent another $20 billion a year with a promise to the NDP to do pharmacare and dental care. So how do you feel about all this? one 1010 or 71010. You know, my wife and I were sitting down. And we thought to ourselves, well, we, we, we got to paint the house this year. You know, we got the, the, the paint on the... But, and, but then the driveway's looking bad, and then you've got um, eaves trough issues, and then, I, and then I, I fixed a patio, but then I got to fix it again. And then she's like, well, what about the bathroom? We got a little situation. It's old. And then you realize you can't do it all because you're out of money. We just can't afford it. So you have to have priorities. But I don't know if the liberals have those discussions. Do they just say, you know what, let's just do it. 
Let's just borrow. I mean, our debt to the bank will let you borrow. Of course, the bank will let you borrow until they don't, and then they seize the house. The bank doesn't care. Are you concerned about all this spending? 1 855 633 1010 or 71010. Do you like that we're spending more on defense? Do we need these jets? Yes, we do. Canada should have at least two aircraft carriers with 100 new fighter jets each, someone says. We don't have aircraft carriers. We have four battleships and eight destroyers. Mike from Windsor is talking about 4% of our GDP. And there's no way the government's going to do that, Mike. We just don't have the money. Evan, F... F-35 sale was rushed. Purchase is probably a bad deal. I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't. It was rushed. It was so delayed. It was probably, if it's a bad deal, it's because we didn't rush it more. Uh, Terry in Ancaster, what do you want to talk about? You, you've got a whole menu today, Terry. What's up? Hey, I think this child care plan is a slap in the face to everybody. When I was girl, growing up at that with my kids, I had to pay for them. There was no free ride. Like, um, uh, my concern with this is, like, um, um, how much, um, uh, like, who's all going to get this? Are we talking, like, people that make $100,000, $200,000 a year? Are, 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 are they going to be getting this plan, too, or what? Yeah, okay, Terry, first of all, I appreciate the call. Um, there's going to be some generational people who say, like, I didn't have this growing up. Well, I mean... You know, the world changes and and people vote for different governments. There's going to be a generation that said, hey, I didn't have Medicare. Well, now you do. There's going to be a government, you know, governments in build new programs. They take away some programs. You know, your childhood isn't necessarily the the perfect view of government. Now, you may not like it or need it. Um, Now, is it means tested, which is a good question. Uh, I'll just give you an example. The answer so far is no. There is a low-income element for it. 300,000 Ontarians with low income will get some first shot at it. But I'll give you what's interesting here is, like, like if you look at that child care benefit when, when the Stephen Harper government was shipping thousands of dollars as a child care benefit for home care. It wasn't child care, but it was... They made that universal, okay? I just want you to know, it was the conservatives that said, yeah, anyone can have it. We're not going to means test it, Terry. And yet, then the liberals came in and said, no, rich people don't get it, and they took that away. And so, you know, again, politics doesn't help you clarify that. Um, This is not means-tested, but there is an element for low-income Canadians. Uh, John, what's up? Well, I mean, I want to talk about defense spending, and I'm glad that they are buying the F-35. But there's there's two things I'm quite concerned of with the supply and confidence motion is this the only thing the NDP is going to support them on because uh, our military is hurting we need more ships as a veteran myself and, and I spent time in the army uh, our army is globally uh, under under supplied in terms of armor and vehicles and uh, you know quality quality firearms quality guns and by that I mean heavy artillery um, you know, they, they really have to step up. Yeah, I'm with you. First of all, thank you for your service to the country. I, 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 it's a little tough to hear you because you're on the road, but I don't mind that. Thanks for calling. And more importantly, thanks for your service to the country. Uh, yeah, they, listen, Canada is not meeting its own NATO obligations. 
there is a cost to defend democracy. It's like an insurance policy. We haven't been paying it. Our ships, uh, we don't have a blue water navy. We don't have enough defense of the Arctic. We don't have an air force that's remotely into the 21st century. And we will now. I'm with you on that. Uh, a great call. Um, what do I got? I got uh, Shane. What's up? Hey, Evan. Thanks for taking my call. Um, 88 planes. Doesn't that seem like a small amount? You know, that's like four or five squadrons at best. Um, you know, how many coasts are we going to be able to protect with that? Yeah, it, it's it's actually kind of on par from, from, from where we were in terms of the number of planes. Um, it doesn't compare to the U.S., right? Like in well, China, we're not even close to that. But, you know, I think... Well, that's, that's why I brought it up, because I used to be in the Marine Corps fixing F-18s, and we had 12 to 15 jets on standby at all times. So, and that's just one squadron on one base out yeah. of many. I think we have had, at one point, like 390 aircraft. But, yeah, we're going to have 88 of these things. It's not a lot, but they're expensive. I pre- Hey, Shane, thanks also for your service, for serving. Uh, i got to take a break. Man, lots of calls today. So much news, right? Um, can we end on a uniting note? Did anyone watch the um, Canadian national soccer team qualify for the World Cup? How great was that? Blank in uh, Jamaica, 4 nothing. We'll talk to Luke uh, Wildman after this. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Oh, baby, that was a good win. Canadian men go to the World Cup. I cannot wait for this. Here's Canadian coach John Herdman talking about the moment that Team Canada decided their fate. They beat Jamaica for nothing. It was here in Canada. It was cold, and the team was hot. I think this country... They never believed in us because we've given them nothing to believe in. They believe now. And I think if we all get behind each other, this is the time for everyone to get behind football and unite because we can be a powerhouse. And it's time. It was after a kind of stunning loss against uh, Costa Rica where Canada had been number one in the CONCAF tournament. And it would be like, it was amazing. But now we're 14 1 and 4. And after 36 years, we're going to the big show. Uh, Luke Wildman is the soccer host, commentator of TSN, play-by-play for TSN soccer coverage of the Whitecaps, the Montreal Impact, the Toronto FC. Luke, I don't know what you do after a win like this. Do you just like, have you slept? Are you freaking out? What happened? It was really strange because almost inevitable. That was the feeling about Canada making it to the World Cup after the run that they'd had, even since... January, really, when they beat the United States in Hamilton. That was the moment I think people started to believe that this was really happening. But it's a completely different feeling when you see them standing there in front of 30,000 people in Toronto with a big banner that says qualified and with the fireworks going off and that realization that something special has happened. And talking to John Herdman and listening to that clip there when he talks about people believing in this team, I don't even think when he came in in 2018 to take over, having been with the women's program and had such an influential uh, time there, that even the players thought when he said to them in 2018, this group can get to the World Cup four years from now, they didn't even believe him. 
but they got on board over the course of the next couple of years. And really now, it's almost mm. like an unstoppable train with this group. And, and that belief that has been instilled, the quality that they have, the wonderful people that are within that group of players, and it was just a magical moment from, uh, from coast to coast yesterday for the game in this country. Yeah, it really was. Now, we should say that Canadian women are, didn't they, they won gold at the Tokyo Olympics. So, hey, the Canadian women are incredible players. The men have been laggards for a long time, no longer. Uh, what changed for the men? Like, how did Canadian soccer, you know, we, we didn't sneak in the back door here. This isn't a show. This is a damn good, dangerous team. What has happened? It is, and there's a whole generation of younger Canadian players who have come through who have the talent now, like an Alfonso Davies, who's playing at the very highest level of the game in Europe for Bayern Munich, a teenager Canadian winning a Champions League title a couple of years ago. Jonathan David this year has been one of the top scorers in the the main league in France, uh, above some players that are world-renowned like Neymar and Lionel Messi. You know, we have these talented players who are now playing in big environments um, and pulled together by John Herdman, who you mentioned the women's program there. He's going to become the first coach to qualify and coach at a, a men's and a women's World Cup, having had Canada there in 2015 when we hosted the Women's World Cup here. But it's been a magnificent ride with him as he's pulled this group together. And, and even someone yesterday, like we talk about the, the, these young, talented players, but yesterday, Atiba Hutchinson, 39 years old, who has been a mainstay of this program over the last two decades and has suffered so much in terms of people not caring about soccer in Canada, defeats, you know, no, no prospects of ever making it to the World Cup. He said yesterday he never thought they would get to this position. And now, at the age of 39, he's got to be there in so Qatar great. this November. Speaking of Luke Wildman, soccer host, commentator on TSN, who's still buzzing from this. First of all, the, the field was unbelievably packed at BMO Field in Toronto. The, like, madness... How far can this team go, Luke? Yeah, well, I, I thought it was cold, by the way, when they played against Mexico and Costa Rica in Edmonton back right. in November. But yesterday, down by the lakeshore in Toronto, you know it's always a few degrees colder by the lake there, and the wind chill uh, was about minus 15. It was freezing, but everybody was there. You know, the, the, I got a video of the Canada bus arriving with the, the red smoke and the flares, and there must have been a couple of thousand people that were waiting outside as the bus was coming through. Um, so, so the atmosphere was incredible. It was just that moment of destiny, I think. And, and even for me, it didn't seem as if there was any kind of, of nervousness there because people just expected that this was going to be you know, Canada's day against a poor Jamaica team. And they could have qualified in Costa Rica, but really much better to qualify at BMO anyway in front of the Canadian fans. And the best thing about this team is that they've shown now they're first in the CONCACAF qualifying above Mexico and the US. I think whoever they get... Whoever they get when the draw comes on Friday for the World Cup, they've got a chance. And maybe they don't have the quality throughout that a, a top team would have, like a Brazil or, or an Argentina. But against anybody, this team has belief that they can do the job. Right. They're going to go there and do Canada proud. And by the way, they're playing, and you can explain this to, to, to Luke, to many fans who don't follow soccer, I think that you're going to get a whole new fan base, and we got we got to make sure people understand that. Who are these kids? Who are these men? What's the sport mean? What does the draw mean on Friday? It's going to be very exciting. But Canada was playing without one of its best players, who's been injured, right? Yeah, Alfonso Davies is a world-class talent. He's one of the best players in the world in his position. His story is incredible, having been a refugee and come and found a home in Canada, 
and grown up in Edmonton and, and played free soccer in there because his family couldn't afford to put him into soccer programs. And now we have this once-in-a-generation world-class talent who chooses, could have represented other countries, but because of what this country's done for him, chooses to represent Canada and loves this country so much and wants to give back for what they've given to his family. Uh, and he's not been available for half of these games. Um, had an issue recovering from COVID and has had to miss the games in January. And these games now, he's getting closer to being able to be back to full training. But Alfonso Davies, you know, is one of those players who Canada will need when it gets to the World mm -hmm. Cup. But it, it puts into perspective even more without him, the depth that they have and the quality they have within this roster, that they were able to finish first and qualify even without their star player. That, that's, I think, what people are missing. You know, it's like you are missing maybe your best player, your one-two best player for half the games. And, you know, in the U.S., they're talking about a golden generation of players in the U.S., and Canada has trounced them. I mean, we beat them, but we have been on top of the CONCACAF, which is the, this kind of, you know, North American, South American, uh, you know, Central American um, division from the beginning. It's pretty yeah. remarkable, isn't it, Luke? It is, and that's the other thing. It's like they didn't back into this World Cup. They have gone there flying as the best team in this region, which is even this time last year, Canada's World Cup qualifying campaign started two rounds before the final round because they were so far down the rankings, playing the likes of Aruba and Suriname. And then they had to play a home-and-home -home against Haiti before they could even get to this mm. final round of World Cup qualifying with the big boys. So they've been building this for a long time. And as it started last September, this final round, people were talking about could Canada possibly get into the top three? Could they really challenge? And they've blown that away and they're finishing they're first and they've, they've beaten the U.S. They've beaten Mexico. So, you know, so Luke, they, I've got 30 have, seconds. Statement. What do I need to watch for? What does everyone need to watch for? And, and quick final thought on Friday. Well, obviously, they'll find out their, their group. Um, Canada will either be ranked in pot four or pot three. There are four pots with the teams. They're going to probably get one of the giants of the game from pot one. And then as you go through the pots, the seedings go a little bit further down. So we'll wait and see how it plays out for Canada. But for me, it's do you want Canada to face a giant like a Portugal or a Brazil? Or would you prefer a more favorable draw? And hopefully maybe they can get a little bit further in the competition. Whoever it is, it's going to be exciting. No group of death. I'd like a, I'd like <laughs> a nice uh, low-ranked team. I'd like Canada to have a Cinderella run. Uh, Luke Wildman, what a moment for Canadian soccer. You've just been doing a phenomenal job. Soccer host, commentator on TSN. Folks, get on board that train. See you on Power Play.